The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're going to be in Matthew 13, continuing our series on the stories of Jesus. But before we go to Matthew 13, we just uh, want to recognize there's a a guy that was a good friend of TBC who drummed for us, drummed at our men's conference, served our body quite a bit. His name is Johnny Bautista. And a couple of weeks ago, just suddenly, uh, Johnny went to be with the Lord uh, far too soon. And so we uh, just want to ask you to pray for his family as they grieve his loss, but also a really good friend of Mark and Whitley and others here. And so pray for them as they grieve his loss also. We're in Matthew 13, and we're talking about the stories of Jesus. And in case you've been away this summer or coming back or you're new here, kind of where we're headed after a couple more weeks in this is we're doing a series called Formed by Jesus, and we're going to study the spiritual disciplines, these habits of grace that help us to know Christ. We've got small group curriculum for it. We're looking forward to this study together so that we might grow together in the Lord. Today, what we are going to learn is that the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than you can imagine. And it's more important than we can understand. But before we read the text, I want to tell you about a little girl. She was born in 1940. She weighed 4.5 pounds. She was born premature, had some respiratory issues, and she started very small. She was the 20th of 22 children. All the ladies in the room, just take a breath. (laughs) When she was four, she got polio, and her left leg was paralyzed. Doctors said she would never walk again. Shortly after, she got scarlet fever and double pneumonia. The odds were stacked against her. She began eventually to walk with a brace, and when she was eight, the brace came off, and she began walking on her own. And when she was 12, she started to run, and she was fast. Not just faster than anybody in her class, faster than anybody. And in 1960, the European press dubbed her the Black Gazelle. Her name was Wilma Rudolph. Wilma Rudolph set world records in the 100, 200, and 4 by 100 meter relay as she won three gold medals. And at the height of her career, two years later, she quit racing. She quit racing so that she could coach and teach underprivileged children so they might have a chance to do well in the world. She started small and inconspicuously, and she grew into something great. Often small beginnings lead to grand and magnificent ends. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And the first of three parables that we're going to talk about today says that. We're going to talk about a a parable that talks about seed, a parable that talks about selling everything you have, and a parable that talks about a separation that's coming. Let's read Matthew 13, 31. And 32, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed 
the man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, there is a lot that you can do with parables, but one thing that you don't want to do is dive into the minutia, because if you do, you will have an adventure in missing the point. Some people read this and go, well, was the mustard seed the actual smallest of the seeds? Well, no, Poindexter, it was not, but it was among the smallest. And does it grow into a tree or does it just become a shrub? Jesus is not trying to be Bill Nye the science guy when he tells a story. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He made the seeds and among the seeds in Galilee in the first century, the mustard seed was one of the smallest and it was going to grow into something great. So big that birds could rest in its branches. See, I think... Jesus is doing lots of things here, but one of the things he's doing is he's evoking language that Israel would know. In Ezekiel, there's a prophecy about a twig that would be broken off of a tree. And the tree twig would be broken off a tree and it would be planted in a high mountain in Israel. And it would grow, the twig is gonna grow, Ezekiel 17, 20. Three and 24, it would grow so that the birds of the air, every sort, would come and rest in its branches. And then God says in verse 24, all the trees of the field shall know that I'm the Lord. And what God is saying through Ezekiel, that all the nations are going to come in. All the birds of the air will gather. They're going to come in. And I believe Jesus is evoking this when he talks about the growth of the kingdom very specifically, but generally he's also, I think, making this great point that the kingdom of heaven starts really, really small. Not something you would be impressed with. You imagine a seed gets thrown out and Tim talked to us last week about how birds come and eat some, others are on rocky ground, others get choked up, but this seed, it's gonna grow. And it's going to expand in ways that you wouldn't imagine a seed that small could. When you think about the storyline of Scripture, when Adam and Eve are being kicked out of the garden, one of the last things that they hear is this curse upon the serpent when God says of the woman's offspring, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And Eve, Genesis 4.1, it doesn't say she had a baby. It doesn't say she had a son. It says the Lord has given me an ish in Hebrew, a man. And I think Eve's thinking, oh, this is the offspring that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And that man's name was Cain and he killed his brother. It was not going well. In fact, it got so bad that God flooded the earth and then starting small again, you have eight people, Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives and And then God goes to a no one from nowhere, a guy named Abram, and he said, go from your father's house to land I'll show you. Well, where? Well, I'll I'll show you. And I'm gonna make your name great, so great that in fact in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham is deceitful. He lacks 
faith, God gives him faith so much so that it's credited to him as righteousness, but God says, hey, your offspring, they're gonna go into another land and they're gonna be slaves for 400 years and at the end of that, I'll bring them back to this land. Well, that does not sound like a great growth plan and that's exactly what happens. 430 years later, this baby is born named Moses. And the Pharaoh of Egypt says, kill all the firstborn children. And so his sister Miriam takes him down to the Nile River and puts him in a basket. And you talk about the odds stacked against. I don't know what you think about when you think about the Nile River, but what I think about is current and crocodiles. But the baby lives and he doesn't just live. He grows up adopted into Pharaoh's house as one of his children But Moses has a long and hard road and the Israelites leave and cross the Red Sea and leader after leader has some great qualities and has some awful sin problems and they go into exile and then they return and here in the midst of the Roman Empire stands Jesus and he was not the Messiah Israel was looking for. They wanted someone to come with political power and military might and that's not who he was. And the odds are stacked against these disciples and Jesus is going to live and die and rise from the dead and there's maybe 500 people. But they're in Jerusalem. It's not even one of the top 10 cities in the Roman Empire. It's a blip on the map in an obscure province. And they begin to share the gospel and the authorities think, we'll just squelch this little mustard seed. So great persecution breaks out and they begin to scatter. And then all of a sudden, they're witnesses to the gospel and account keepers in Antioch and electricians in Ephesus and contractors in Colossae and teachers in Thessalonica and factory workers in Philippi begin to hear this gospel. Retailers in Rome get saved and The mustard seed is no longer just a little seed. It begins to spread so that 300 years later, the gospel has gone to the known world. It's no different than thinking about a church that gets planted and it gets planted small, but people begin to love their neighbors and reach out to the nations and share the gospel in their neighborhood and in their workplaces. And men begin to study the Bible and women begin to study the Bible and they grow together and see friends come to know Christ and neighbors come to know Christ and then they raise up people from among them that go out to share the gospel among the nations. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts really, really small. Then it spreads so that the birds of the air come to rest on its branches so that the nations know that Jesus is Lord, see that's part of why the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than you can imagine and more important than you can understand because those first century believers, they didn't have military might. They didn't have political power. They didn't have financial holdings, no property really to mention to their name. But they had the Holy Spirit and power. 
See, sometimes we forget who we are and we want to do all of these things. The, the prime minister of India right now is trying to spread Hinduism via political power. He's kicking out Christians, even kicking out some Muslims because there's no power in his religion in and of itself. Muslim extremists, not all Muslims hear me, but Muslim extremists want to expand the house of Islam by military might. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Secularists in the world want to expand their own little empires by gaining financial holdings and property. Now, sometimes we get caught into that trap and we try to expand the kingdom of God that way too, but that's not how it will spread. This gospel will be preached. Lives will be transformed. The Holy Spirit and power of the resurrected Christ, that's all we've got along with one another. And so this kingdom is more valuable than we could imagine. It's more important than we could understand, so much so that Jesus says a little bit later in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he covered it up, and then in his joy, he sells all that he has and buys that field. Now again, minutia misses the point because some of you hear this and you try to imagine what this is like and you're, you got a friend you know, who's walking out in East Bell County and he stumbles over something, not because he's clumsy and from Cameron, right? He just stumbles over something. <laughs> and he looks down and there's a briefcase and he opens up the briefcase and there's $15 million in it. And he notices the field is for sale, but... It's for sale for $250,000. He doesn't have $250,000. All he's got to his name is a 2009 gold Toyota Highlander and a double wide trailer, which will sell for about $200,000 these days, right? He goes home, says, honey, we're, I'm, I'm selling the car and the, the trailer, and I'm, uh, there's a field that we've got to buy. You just got to trust me. There's treasure in it. It's like, honey, did you grab the wrong gummies at the store? What is wrong with you? No, no, he's going to buy that field because then you can get all the 2009 Highlanders and double wides you want, right? Some of you go, well, wait, but hold on. Shouldn't he? I mean, isn't that illegal? You're not thinking like I'm thinking. Shouldn't he tell the people? But life in ancient Israel didn't work like life in central Texas did. There was not Scott and White Employee Credit Union or Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Extraco. People hid their treasures in their homes. And sometimes men would go off to war and whatever treasure they have, they didn't know if they were coming back. They didn't want it to be lost while they were away, so they would bury it in the field. Or maybe you'd hear that marauders are coming from two villages away and you don't want them to ransack your home and take your treasure. So you go and bury your treasure and the marauders come and they don't just ransack your home, they kill you. And the treasure's gone. It's never to be found again. So the land would come up for sale and someone might find a treasure. And in fact, last year in Israel, this is late Bronze Age, 
around 1500 to 1200 BC, that very thing happened. Somebody buried their jar with their treasure in their field. And can you imagine how many times it was plowed, how many times it was walked over, and nobody stumbled on the right spot until 2022 in an excavation. Someone found this treasure. That someone's name was not Chase Bowers, by the way. Someone found this treasure, and Jesus says the king of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it in his joy, he buried it again and went and sold all he had to buy that field. Now here, here's what, what we don't want to pass over. There's a, a tension here. Because we could just go, yes, and enjoy, sell everything you have to follow Jesus. But following Jesus is costly. For some of you, it might cost you or it may have cost you your family. For some of you, it might cost you some friends. It might cost you a job. It might cost you your reputation at work. It might cost you time invested in a place you never thought you would be investing with no earthly reward. But the story is not about the cost, it's about the surpassing treasure. And that's the point Jesus wants to make. The scripture describes the word of God and the ways of God like this over and over and over. Psalm 84, 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Psalm 19 says the word of God is, is better than much fine gold and it's sweeter than honey. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good and he's a shield for those who take refuge in him. Psalm 63, 5, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So the message is sell all you have, lay aside whatever you have to, to get in the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. But you might get in the minutia and go, how much does it cost? Well, you can't afford it. Some of you, because your financial status and your understanding of your own sin would go, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't afford it. Others of you, maybe, maybe because of your financial status or maybe because of your own understanding of who you are, you might think, well, I don't know, most people might cannot afford it, but I might can. I mean, have you seen, you've seen these politicians on TV? I'm not like them. You can't afford it. No one can ransom his brother. You can't pay for your own sins. But the good news of the kingdom is that it has been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. To sell all you have, what is your treasure when you think, what is it that I would sell all I have to get? What's the one thing that comes to my mind that's more valuable than I can imagine, more important than I can understand? What am I giving my life toward? That's your treasure, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Well, why is the kingdom treasure? We could talk about this for months, but I'm, we're gonna talk about the rule and reign of Jesus, because in Jesus, we, 
received from him wisdom and power and love. Wisdom in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and he's given us this book, this living and active book that we read and study and meditate on and pray through and preach and learn from and are shaped by and transformed by. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and so wisdom that we need to parent, wisdom that we need to love, wisdom that we need to forgive is found in him and in his word and then there's power the holy spirit's power the only power that can transform us into the sort of people who rather than treasuring ourselves and treasuring the things of this world treasure jesus and would lay our lives down for others and then there is his love when i was thinking about his love i was struck by this Jeremiah 23, 24, God asked the question, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? See, the Israelites are trying to hide their sins from God, and he says, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't hide from me. And if we really understand the gravity of our own sin and separation, we might go, yeah, I, I better hide. I better hide. Except that through the blood of Jesus Christ, everything changes. So much so that an Old Testament man looking forward, David in Psalm 32, whose sins were many, comes to God in confession and says, you are my hiding place. See, in Jesus, the one we're hiding from becomes our hiding place. Colossians 3, Paul says to believers, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The one we would hide from, we now hide in Satan has no accusation to make against us because we stand in the righteousness of Christ. I met a young lady who understands the wisdom and power and love of Jesus more than most people. I've met Ryan Murphy and I were visiting with some friends from Indonesia who were here and one young lady shared her story. She lives in Java. Java is the main island of 7,000 islands in Indonesia. There are 150 million people. The overwhelming majority of them are Muslim. They live on this island the size of Tennessee. And this young lady was Muslim and she began to ask questions of her faith and Somehow the Lord orchestrated her connecting with the teacher and his wife who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. On this island, or in the eastern part where she lives, there are no Western missionaries. And they shared with her of the wisdom and the power and the love of Jesus Christ, and she trusted Christ. She was so excited. And she, she said to me, I went home and I shared with my mother. I was so excited and she threw me out like an old pair of shoes. See, the kingdom of heaven's costly. 
She began to share how she found places to stay with believers, couldn't go back home for a while. Eventually she was able to, but she said it was there that I found that the love of Jesus Christ was even greater than the love of my mother. And some of you have come to find that love. But it is easy in a world full of glitter and a world full of distraction to forget that the kingdom of heaven, life in the rule and reign of Jesus in the already and life in the rule and reign of Jesus in the not yet is more valuable than we could imagine and it's more important than we could understand. And it's true because of the love of Jesus Christ, but it's also true because there's a separation coming. There's a seed that grows, there's a sell all you have, and then there is a separation that Jesus speaks of. He tells a parable that speaks my language, that is the language of fishing. Matthew 13, 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but they threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I was a boy, I would fish some with my father and my grandfather down on the coast, right on the border of Texas and Louisiana. And we fished in what's called brackish water. It's a mix of fresh and salt. And so we would get live shrimp who weren't going to live very long. And we'd put them on a hook under a cork and they would do all the work. And we would catch all kinds of fish. We'd catch largemouth bass, sand bass, hybrid bass, but then we'd catch saltwater fish as well. We catch redfish, we catch speckled trout, we catch black drum, we catch flounder. And then we would catch these things. If you didn't grow up fishing on the coast, this might not mean anything to you, but they're called hardhead catfish. And they're just the worst. They're useless, they don't taste good, they're hard to clean, and they've got these pointy fins that will stick in your hands and your knees and give you an infection that nothing will take away. So hardhead catfish, when I was growing up, just got thrown away. So when I read this parable, I understand what these fishermen from Galilee would have understood. At the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you, you might hear that. Well, Chase, I I might just try to escape the net. Nobody's going to escape the net, right? Well, that that religion's fine, but I've got letters behind my name. I've got three. They're PhD. Do you know what I know? I know that if you got three letters behind your name, you're missing 23, and you and I, like everybody else, one day we're going to be a big ball of dust. That's true of everybody in this room. One day, we're going to be a big ball of dust. Now, for those in Christ, Jesus one day is going to come and take that big ball of dust and resurrect it, but we're all going to become a big ball 
of dust. And the reality is that none of us know if we're going to live out this week. That's just true. And there's a separation coming. Nothing in me would like to not be able to tell you this. But part of my role as a teacher and preacher of the Bible is to be a witness, to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that is the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. There's a separation coming. If you don't know Christ, he's your only hope. And he is hope. He stands ready today to be the one you need not hide from, but the one you can hide in. And And when we talk about this separation, we usually talk about it in this negative way. But I want to tell you, if you're in the net, fish of every kind, there's really good news for you. Which is why the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than we could imagine and more important than we could understand. So I'd like to close our time by thinking just a little bit about how and why the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than we could imagine and more important than we could understand. And the way that I think about this is from four verses in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 4, we see this, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, that's past tense. The kingdom of heaven is valuable because what's been done in the past, God is rich in mercy. We were dead in sin. We were children of wrath, even as the rest. Who was at work in us was the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. We were separated from God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Well, the next couple of verses say that he did three things. He raised us up. He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us with, with, with. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were brought from death to life. That's when conversion happens. Our dead hearts are awakened to the goodness and mercy and beauty of God and our sins are forgiven. We're raised up. We're not just made alive, but we're seated with Christ. We're raised up living a new resurrection life, a transformed life, a spirit-empowered and word-instructed life that looks different than a life that's living for itself. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places, this spiritual realm of battle where Jesus wins. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated with him and we will be kept in him. Now, when you think about the love of God, we often think of the past. Sometimes we think about this present standing we have, but I want us to think about the future. Ephesians 2, 7. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, I read that and I just go, what does that even mean? So I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I remember who I was. And I remember now when I dive into my flesh, just who I am, in my heart and in my mind, my words, my actions. When I step a moment away from Jesus, it's just ugly. And so right now, life in Christ seems like the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ, but it's not. Right now, 
We're simply made alive, raised up, and seated with him in the heavenly places. In the age to come, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ. And we don't even know what it means, but here's what we do know. It's going to take him all eternity to show us how great it is. And we will experience that in ever-increasing joy. And what a privilege we have, not just to walk in that reality, but also to share with others the value of Jesus Christ. What is it that you treasure? What's the most valuable thing, the most important thing to you? Is it your job? Is it getting Something Is it people thinking of you in a certain way? Sell all you have. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than we could imagine, and it's more important than we can understand. And it has been purchased for us in Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, do not be afraid, little flock. It has pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. So sell what you have and buy purses for yourself that will not wear out. You got the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Jesus, our confession is that you are worthy. All hail you as our king. We give you praise and honor. And our confession is that you are more valuable than we could imagine. You are supremely valuable. You're more important than we could understand. And God, I pray right now for people who are coming to wrestle with that today. There's a separation coming. God, would you give them eyes to see how valuable you are? Would you draw them to you by your Holy Spirit? Would you save them and give them life in Jesus. Raise them up with him as you have raised us up with him. And God, for those of us who know you, God, may we know, maybe remember, and maybe walk in the reality that life with you is more valuable than we could imagine and more important than we could understand. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.